0: Welcome, welcome, welcome to the podcast of Community Bible Church, serving the Rogue Valley from Central Point, Oregon. We are a multi-generational family, equipping believers to be adopted in, growing up, and reaching out through the gospel. So understand, get a smile on your face, we are going to be talking about the faithfulness of God this morning, especially as it applies to our Savior Jesus Christ, all right? So if you can't have at least a little smile in that, shame on you, all right? Second of all, today is the last sermon in series form that I will preach, all right? Today we're going to end at book three of Psalm, and we're going to stop right there we're gonna we're gonna be in the last one Psalm 89 since it talks about the faithfulness of God it seems to be a perfect last segue for me to speak on what I believe is the concept of family we say this all the time at the church and everybody gives me credit for initiating that term and that expression here in the church Well, I want you to understand why I gave it, all right? Because it's a very, very important concept to me, and really it stems from the fact that you and I have to see one another each and every week, all right? Ultimately, family should be the biblical idea of local church. So you're going to hear that. I've never preached a sermon on it, so we're not going to go out with a repeat. So I want you to join us as we come together this last time. And again, I'm going to say it again, yea, verily, we have one service next week. All right? So there's no excuse for anybody who's sitting in here to say, oh, I no one ever told me. All right? We did tell you late. We'll, that. we'll accept that one. But be here early. Now my suspicion is, now with Saturday night having joined us And we're, we have been fuller than we have been You might want to be here early If you like your consistent spot Alright? So maybe that will be a marker For our coffee preparers to get here a little earlier Because you desperately need it I get that, alright? But we have one service We want you to come and join with us And... <clears throat> Enjoy that heritage that we have together as we think of transferring ministries. We recognize that change is going to be a partner to what we're going on and how we're moving forward. But the one thing that needs to stay constant is your loyalty and understanding of family. So we're going to build on that this next week. All right? So, because today speaks on faithfulness. Can you imagine of some of the, the stupid ways in which we've promised people that we're going to do something in our heritage? Most of the time, it's, it's, it's children that do this. But, you know, have you ever heard an adult, children look down and go, pinky promise? All right? Now, first off, What a stupid way to make a promise, right? The idea that I'm going to break my finger because I didn't pull off what I promised is really a stupid concept. My favorite way as a kid would have been something like this, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. Yeah, right. I don't care what I promise you. You ain't going to get either one of those things out of me if I have a vote. We ultimately are terrible at promises. Now, I'm going to confess something. It happened quite often when I was a younger married man. Honey, don't listen. But my wife would call. And I'm sure this has never happened to any of you. My wife would call from somewhere. Honey, yeah? Did you vacuum the carpet yet? It's right in the second quarter of the football game. Of course I didn't. Yes, honey, I did. No problem. Well, I know she's not going to be home for the next hour. So some commercial, I'm going to get it done. Honey, this is real important. Did you promise? You promised me. You'd do it. Honey, I promise you, it's already done. Now, I'm confessing a sin right now. I get it. But none of you have ever done that. But ultimately, my point is this. You and I are terrible at keeping our promises, aren't we? Guys, too many times we put God under our thinking. Too many times we think that God thinks like us. And when you and I read the Bible, we find a completely different understanding of who God is. See, even Jesus pronounced it this way when he just simply said in Matthew 5, 47, let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. Um, You see, the one thing that you and I need to understand in the world that we live in today is our God and our relationship with God through Jesus Christ can always be counted on. Not because you're capable of being consistent but because God is and so consequently you and I have to bury that thought in our mind the Bible teaches that God's faithfulness is part of his nature he does not change so he will keep his promises forever Hebrews 13 verse 8 says it this way, Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Nothing in heaven or on earth can prevent God from accomplishing what He has promised to us, His people, through Jesus Christ. Can't happen. Psalms 89 is going to look at it from the from the landscape of the Old Testament looking forward. But I want you to understand this is a fitting capstone to Book 3. We've talked about Book 3 and ultimately what a difficult series of psalms these are. These are all psalms about horrible times. When the elite of the community were being hung by the enemies, When, when the wives of The community were being mistreated and raped by enemies who had captured Jerusalem. The place was being pillaged and they were being taken into exile. There is nothing in this series of Psalms that in any way is encouraging and they seem to point to a time when God forgot Israel. And so Psalm 89 tries to glue all of those concepts together. God's faithfulness while we go through hard times, why it's difficult. So I want you to understand if God can be counted on, uh, but the world is going through chaos, how do we focus on our ability to rely on the promises of God? So this morning we're going to use Psalm 89 as a backdrop. We're not going to be able to go into every verse and every detail. It is, a long, it is a long psalm of over 50 verses. So we want to look at how the psalmist encourages himself and his community and how God used by inspiration that to encourage you and I to recognize the faithfulness of God throughout all of the generations that have held the Bible precious since the moment it came off of Ethan's pen. So if you will, I want you to notice um, he gives right off the bat six proofs of God's faithfulness. Psalm 89 is said to be written by Ethan the Ezraite. Now, we know an Ethan the Ezraite Who lived during the time of Solomon. Solomon is the high point of all Israeli history. If you you ever have a chance of, of looking back or you know already your Old Testament history, Solomon was the most intelligent king of Israel, arguably the greatest intellect that humanity has ever seen. His ability to ascertained material blessing stands at the crowning achievement of what what we know to see israel he says silver was as stones all of their eating implements are pure gold when he built the temple he then took all of the wood and have it overlaid with gold so that none of the base rock could be seen because it was covered by wood, the wood was covered by gold, you had an incredible building. Ethan would have wrote during this time, and so it doesn't seem like he's capable of telling us how to go through hard times. But there's an end to the book, and that end is very graphic. And we believe that Ethan wrote, if you will, the first two verses of this song, and somebody added an addendum. When Israel fell. And so we're going to look down, and Ethan's focus is going to show us about God's eternal promises, how God's always faithful to us. And we're going to look at the things that made him faithful. So if you will, follow along in our text of Scripture this morning, We're going to be picking out a few of the key verses. We start in verse one. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said, Steadfast love will be built up. In the heavens, you will establish your faithfulness. You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one, I have sworn to David, my servant. A God greatly to be feared in the counsel of the Holy Ones and awesome above all who are around Him. Skip to verse 8. O Lord of hosts, who is mighty as You, O Lord, with Your faithfulness all around You? Skip forward, verse 11. The heavens are Yours. The earth also is Yours. The world and all that is in it is Yours. You have founded them. Skip ahead to verse 17. For you are the glory of their strength. By your favor, our horn is exalted. For our shield belongs to the Lord, our King, to the Holy One of Israel. Family, within these verses, he makes six illustrations that point out God's faithfulness. In the first four, he just simply says that God's faithful. And one of the great reasons that we have of his faithfulness is that God's steadfast love, this word is hesed. We've talked about it from time to time. It's significant. It simply says that God is always mercifully kind. Always mercifully kind. It never gives up. Never, ever, ever. And so throughout this psalm, words of permanence are used. So seven times he uses hesed, steadfast or merciful love. Eight times he uses the word faithful. Nine times he uses the word forever. Six times he uses the word covenant. I made a contract with you that I will carry out, and that is always to be counted on and relied on. And so he gives us the proofs with that backdrop in mind. And I want you to notice the first is the Davidic covenant. The Davidic covenant. God promises to have a relative of David's on his throne forever. Forever is a simple truth that you and I as believers in fairness have counted on from the moments or the earliest times that we know Christ as Savior. It's very hard to attend church during Christmas season. It's very hard to go many weeks without hearing that Jesus Christ is the son of David. Matter of fact, our New Testaments start in Matthew 1, 1 with the idea, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. The humanity of Jesus is not just any Jew, but the one who deserves the throne of David. And so, family, right from the beginning, you and I should have a promise that even the Old Testament Jews find as uncertain or wavering. Because we know, the, we know the capstone. We know the ending. We know that Jesus Christ, the very last heir to the, to the throne of David, lived a life that you and I recognize and can read in the Gospels. That you and I can know that first He dies on the cross, He comes alive so that Romans could say He deserves our respect and our understanding of His humanity because He is one who comes from the line of David and rose again to be our Savior and Lord. You and I have that given to us, and it's one of the bedrocks of our faith. We can't move forward. And yet, we were told more than 900 years before Jesus Christ would have been born, that the promise to David and his covenant would be something that all God-followers can sit and rest and know because he made that promise, God is faithful to you and I. I want you to notice, secondly, probably the, 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 the oddest, if you will, and that's angelic praise. The... Angels are called a congregation, almost as if the angels were a local church all to themselves. They live to worship and praise God. And so in verse 8, you see their praise to Him. And they proclaim Him as one who is mighty as You are, O Lord. Now notice, with Your faithfulness all around You. Do me a favor, think for a moment. The angels only know God as consistently holy, righteous. They've never seen a a world unraveled like you and I. They only know the perfection of heaven. And yet, they praise Him for His constant faithfulness. Now, forgive me as a human being, that's not one that would make my 10 if I saw something as routine, all right? How many times do you ever praise your mate for just being routine? You always know that your mate is always going to do, is always going to accomplish, is always going to perform in such a way. Do you ever look down and go, thank you for that, honey. Do you ever look to your husband and go, thank you, man, the garage is awfully perfect all the time? Because they're constant. It's not something that would make my understanding of something that I would praise my spouse over. But yet, that's exactly what the angels are doing. They praise him for his consistency. It's the one thing that you and I most often question him of. So if we had the perspective of the angels, what would this do for our confidence in God? I want you to notice thirdly, he praises God's faithfulness for the laws of nature. So in verse 9, he speaks of the seas storming and then God stilling them. Really, all he's talking about is the sense that uh, across the Mediterranean Sea, a storm will move in. Uh, across the Mediterranean Sea, the, the storms will become more active in the fall than they are in the spring. And in the spring, they're, they're quelled. They're, they, they go down. They, they go away. And so he's just simply saying, you stopped it. He's not speaking like the New Testament where Jesus walked out into the water and said, quiet and they stilled." He's just simply looking down at the the order and the structure of what goes on. A man by the name of Foster, Ph.D., from Oxford, wrote in 2001, "...the presence of the regularities in nature provide us with a strong case for accepting the existence of God." So as we see the ebb and flow of the ocean, we see the continuing work of God. The only point that we have to have is this. There either has to be a God for the laws of nature, or the laws of nature are the God. And then you have to ask, where did the laws of nature, if they're governing everything and they are without creator, where did we get them? So when we rely on gravity, when we rely on the, the, the pull of the moon, the gravitational impact that it has on our oceans, what credit do you give to the Creator God for keeping the world at bay as it is? You see, we live in a time right now that we want to proclaim chaos as being our controller, don't we? So global warming caused last year's droughts in California. Global warming caused 300% snow increase this year. I don't know how you can have it both ways, but chaos is ultimately the God governing the laws of nature. And when that happens, how many times does it disrupt our confidence in the faithfulness of God to be faithful not only to humanity and common grace, but to you and I in the specific promises that he gives to us in salvation. So we see the laws of nature being a promise that he leaves us. I want you to notice, if you will, fourth, history itself. Verse 10, he teaches us of his control of Rahab. Rahab is a a mythical creature that that, that existed at their time uh, in their their conversations. But in the Bible, the three times that it's used, always, always, always speaks of Egypt. And in speaking of Egypt, he says, I controlled Egypt. And what he's speaking of is he's speaking of the, the times when he brought the ten plagues and then the Red Sea, to destroy the army. And he simply is saying, I'm in control of nature. And you should see... I'm sorry, I'm in control of history. And you should see my control when you see life acting out. And so we see God. And 40 years later, when the spies go in to check out Jericho... The whole community is remembering what happened 40 years ago to say, wait a second, we know what you did to Egypt. And now Rahab the harlot looks back and says, you're going to win, I know you are. I know what you did to Egypt. There's no one like your God. And so family, we have a God who controls history. And you and I need to never forget God controls history. We have two incidences in the Old Testament where where an archer randomly put an arrow into the air, killing both Ahab, the king of Israel, and Josiah, the king of Judah. Pure happenstance when you and I look at it. Purely in the control of the Almighty God. Ahab comes by direct prophecy. So we can have the very first ruler of the Persian Empire being named by God a hundred years earlier. God is in control of history. And he uses it and reminds us of that wonderful control throughout Scripture. He goes on to say, just in, general, in generality, never forget creation. The vastness of creation points to the vastness of God's faithfulness to His people in salvation. The immensity of the universe becomes a tangible guarantee that God will keep His salvation promises. And family, I I, I love nature. The elders were just talking about it this morning, and, and their laughter was, a guy like Eddie, early 20s, doesn't have a bunch of bird feeders. But for some reason, you just put old people in the room, and there's 27 bird feeders in their backyards, right? And we talk about the birds that come in. And Eddie sits there as our young youth pastor, looks and says, man, these people are so old. And the amazing thing is, is Spencer, 34, says, oh, yeah. He says, yeah, that's a hobby that 45-year-olds start. (laughs) And we look back and said, how many bird feeders do you guys have in your backyard? Oh, yeah. And immediately his head goes down. But I want you to understand, did, have you ever looked at the incredible gifts of, of the animal kingdom? Have you ever looked at the incredible realities of creation? See, God could have created flying seed eaters, but He, he could have made them all brown and ugly, and, and but He didn't. He created them as varied as our imagination could ever be exhausted. All right? He created animals that just are phenomenal, that you and I could never have put together. Forgive me, but could you have created hippopotamus? Think that through. And unless you're in four-year-old art, you could not have drawn a hippopotamus if you wanted to. walk through the variety of creation. God could have created a rat eater. That's all a snake is. But God looked down and he said, no, 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 I'm going to let some of them hug rats to death. I'm going to let some of them poison rats to death. I'm going to let some of them be so fast they can chase rats down. And then I'm going to give them every color of the rainbow. And some of you look at the same creation and go, ick, but most of us should go, oh, my goodness, my God is creative. And you walk through every animal kind you want to, and what you should be pointing at is, wow, my God is creative. Wow, my God is creative. And so he simply reminds us how incredible he is. Then lastly, he gives us the sixth. And he takes four verses to explain that our salvation is something that reminds us of who he is and his consistency. So family, the the talk here in these first four verses are obviously about the salvation of Israel, how he chose them out of insignificance. He brings them out to Mount Sinai, he gives them the Ten Commandments. He says that I'm going to be in relationship with you." And he gives us, and he gives to them the sacrificial system so that they would always know how to be in a right relationship with God. As, as imperfect it was, it was perfect to save Israel at that moment in history. And then you and I have the privilege of building on that truth you and I have the opportunity of recognizing that one of the very identifications of the Savior that we know and love and proclaim as ours, one of the very titles is faithful. So in Revelation 1, he can be called the faithful witness. In Revelation 2, he can be called the faithful one. In Revelation 3 he can be called faithful and true witness and in Revelation 19 he can simply be called faithful and true you and I have promises that he's made let not your heart be troubled believe in God believe also in me in my father's house are many mansions if it were not true I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you can be also. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life. No one shall perish, and no one will take them out of my, my hand. My Father, who is greater than me, no one will take them out of my Father's hand. You see, you and I are built on the relationship to the promise to you and I by God on high through Jesus Christ. If you and I can't hold that as precious, we will find living in the 21st century world a slippery, slippery place. And so God gives us the very confidence of our salvation as a point of reference to God's faithfulness. His salvation is everything to us, so that in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, he says this, For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. So everything that God's promised, Once we understand the truth of who Jesus Christ is, what Jesus Christ accomplished, that He rose from the dead, sitting now at the right hand of the Father, everything that God has promised finds its culmination in Jesus Christ, and in the culmination of Jesus Christ, we can look back on all of the promises and say that that's God's yes to all of them. God's Faithfulness helps a believer overcome temptation and allows a believer comfort in suffering. When God's people are unfaithful, God is faithful. No matter what His followers do, God's faithfulness is unchangeable because He cannot deny Himself. So family, I want you to notice, out of the six proofs He now continues to teach us here in Psalm 89. I want you to notice the hand of God in hard times. One of the hardest times for us to see God is when we are going through difficulty, isn't it? So he says, beginning in verse 39, the author here just seemingly cannot see God's promises. He says, you have renounced the covenant with your servant. You have defiled the crown in the dust. You have breached all his walls. You have laid his strongholds in ruins. All who pass by plunder him. He has become the scorn of his neighbors. You have exalted the right hand of his foes. You have made all his enemies rejoice. Now, family, I just read it. I want you to go back to your Bibles. If you have a pen, I want you to take note of these next few words. Ready? You have renounced the covenant. You have defiled his crown. You have breached all his walls. You have laid his strongholds in ruins. You have exalted the right hand of his foes. You have made all his enemies rejoice. Who does the author blame? One guy got it right. Who did the author blame? No. He blames God. Please take note. He blames God. Family, we know that God says He will discipline those who love Him. But what happens when we have to see real hardship coming from the hand of God that lasts for years. Let me put you in another couple scenarios. How would you have been had you been born in Russia from roughly 1925 to 1940? And you were born to a wonderful Assembly of God family and into that family, you had to live your life as a believer in Jesus Christ, would you have seen the faithfulness of God? What if you were born in North Korea today where they guess 30-some percent may be God followers in North Korea? What would you do if Dad was taken away and as reports are given to us are eaten by trained animals designed to attack and consume prisoners in the variety of gulags of North Korea. How would you be as a mate or a child being raised in that home? Would you see the faithfulness of God? Family, one of my favorite stories that are told from from Tortured for Christ... and and their concern for the, the, the various people undergoing persecution, was a man who had been a believer now being put into Vietnamese prison camp for being a believer. And nearing the end of holding on, he said, please, Lord, I need encouragement from you. He was given the responsibility of emptying the latrine, the buckets, from people at night, and one of them was the commandant. And as he went on and did that day after day after day after day, suddenly it dawned on him that the material that the commandant was using to finish himself and clean himself was Scripture. And he was able to grow excited and clean off as best he could with water, laying out the words of Scripture to dry over and over again, and with excitement he looked down and said, my God is faithful to me. Would you have found him faithful if you had to scrape excrement off of your morning devotions in order to have intimacy with your Savior? That's how he found it. So family, what I want you to notice here is there's going to be times in our lives, there's going to be moments in history where you sit and you wonder where God is. But I want you to see here, if harmful things are happenstance and there is no direct action of God, then the good things have no meaning either. Even though we don't understand what God is doing, we can know that there is a purpose. Family, when you read the book of Job, all of us want to get God off the hook and say, well, wait a second, God allowed Satan to do that. But I want to challenge you, go back to the end of the book, in, verse 30, in chapter 38, God will take all responsibility. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? In other words, I'm in control, I know what I'm doing, you don't understand, so be quiet. You see, if God's not in control of the hard times, then God's not in control of the good times. So as we see the ebb and flow of the world, we have to recognize God is in control even when we don't understand. I want you to notice, if we have a third, it would be this, God's hidden faithfulness. So he begins in verse 46. How long, O Lord, will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how short my time is. For what vanity you have created all the children of man. What man can live and never see death? Who can deliver his soul from the power of Sheol? Spring ahead to 50. Remember, O Lord, how your servants are mocked. And how I bear in my heart the insults of all the many nations. So he asks, How long? How, how long are you going to keep this up? And, and, and show yourself as, as someone who is leaving us with, with no answers, with no blessings, to debate whether you're here. He says, How long are you going to keep it up? And he gives them two reasons. First off, Life's too short. Lord, we just don't see you. And you know something, in fairness, if you still can bear children, you don't understand the length of life. If you've started to grow bald, gray-headed, or you got Social Security for the first time, mine's two weeks away, you want to know something? All of a sudden, life's short. I can remember a missionary who had been and spent his entire life in Papua New Guinea. Uh, I'm a young seminary student. And he is in double, um, he's double-wrapped. And he's just had surgery to take away the arthritis that was in all of his extenders in his, in his arms. So while he's here preaching like this, he begins to talk to us and says, you know, if I had an entirely new life. He says there are hundreds of valleys in New Guinea that still have never had anybody proclaim the gospel. My wife has translated the gospel into seven different languages. So now men and women can study God's word. He says, oh, if I only had another life to give. Well, I want to tell you, when he was done, had he had, a, a, had, he had an airplane, we'd have hopped in and, and flew, home, flew to New Guinea. We'd all been there. Life's short on my side of the equation. And if life doesn't change, we grow discouraged. We grow discouraged. And that's really hard for us as Americans, isn't it? We grow discouraged because our batteries on our remote give out at the wrong time. We, can't, we don't think with any level of perseverance. And so he simply says, Lord, when's this going to be over? I can't take it. Life's too short. He then goes on to say, I, I don't like when people say bad things about me. I can't take it when I'm mocked. And can you imagine what the Jews had to experience as they, were, as they were living out a daily life of being raped, financially mistreated, packed up to be taken out of their community, and they watched their community being decimated as their treasures were being pillaged by the Babylonians? Can you imagine what that must have been like? You and I have no point of reference And they said, we just can't take this abuse anymore. And you want to know the killer? That's how it ends. With the exception of one verse. Verse 52. And we see the responsibility of a believer here. What am I to do? Notice verse 52. Blessed be the name of the Lord forever. Amen and amen. Family, the faithfulness of God in what we know to be true is our motivation when we can't figure life out. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, pleads with us to hold on. That pleading is is bent with a near command placed onto it as it pleads us. He says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. It doesn't feel like God is faithful. Hold on. Because he is. Now, family, Now we see the setup, if you will, for next week. And I want you to hear it out very clearly. Our hope translates into a partnership of a family-wide challenge. So he continues in verse 24, And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good deeds. Why do we stir one another on? Because God is asking us to hold on. So God is asking us as a team to hold on. He now looks at each and every individual in the team and he says, hey, stir each other up. Encourage each other. Help them to hold on. And then goes on to say, not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now family, I want you to understand, I don't know when the Lord's going to come back. But you know something? I know it wasn't yesterday. (laughs) So if it wasn't yesterday, it's one step closer than it was yesterday. So if it was one step closer than yesterday, you know what my job is? (laughs) Encourage the family. Stay consistent to Christ. Hold on for one more day. And in light of that, what else am I supposed to be doing? do everything I can to encourage Marcus to grow up and see Jesus Christ. That means when I know he's screwed up, God's already created a part of your anatomy that I can kick because you screwed up. But when you walk with Christ, I'm there for you. That gives us the chance, guys, to encourage each other and say, wow, hey, man, I can't tell you what you did for me when you come down and paint the walls of our church. I'm so thankful. And they ought to be even more thankful, and they don't even know it. But what a privilege it is to watch you work. And it's easier to watch you work. <laughs> Guys, do you understand what a privilege it is? You walked in and you make cookies. Do you know what, how, how good they taste to me? Because I didn't have to do a thing. What an encouragement. I pray for Texas just because you walk into my church. But I don't ever want you to leave because you walked into my church. You see, you can't, if you can't go around the room and look down and say, ah, I want to encourage. There's been a delightful bonehead who's grown up in our church since he was a kid. You know, they all know who to laugh at, by the way. (laughs) Delightful bonehead. And you know something? He has got more for God's glory than many of the guys in the room. And the killer is, it's my job to help him unleash it. All right? And so here's my question to you as we close. You and I, do we trust the faithfulness of God? If the answer is yes then what a privilege I have to to join in God's work to encourage. All right? That's why we have a bond that we now call family. Again, I can tell stories. We wouldn't sit here today if the Higginbotham family wasn't a part of our heritage. And so we go on. I can tell stories about most everybody here. But if we don't find ways to encourage, then we're not living up to the point. And I want you to see how the text ends. He says, blessed, right? Then he ends with, amen, amen. And you know what that means? So be it. So be it. In other words, that's my part to play too. That's my part to play. He's faithful to me. I'm going to be faithful to somebody else in church. And that somebody is, as many as need me. I'm here for him. Father in heaven, help us to understand the faithfulness of our almighty God. Dear God, our faithfulness is something that we could not even accomplish if it was not for the work of Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins. Father, it, it, it is impossible For us to accomplish it, if we then didn't have the filling of the Holy Spirit given to us because our Savior rose from the grave and we now have another comforter as significant as the one who redeemed us. Father in heaven, I'd ask that you'd help us. Dear God, first and foremost, may we understand your faithfulness in hard times. I don't even know the hard times, dear God. Some of us are going through them individually. We see that we may have to do them corporately or communally. But dear God in heaven, regardless of that, you encourage us to hold on. You encourage us to be faithful because first and foremost, you are faithful. But then dear God, may we learn next week how we can be faithful to one another, pushing the agenda of seeing God's faithfulness to each other. Father, watch over us today that we may relish the goodness and the faithfulness of our mighty God. In Jesus' name we proclaim. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast of Community Bible Church. Follow us on Facebook to keep up to date with all our latest content. Thank you!